Good evening, my friends, and welcome to a bonus episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I'm your host, Keith, better known as the Radio Show Nerd. And tonight, I decided to create my own personal playlist of a few of my favorite radio plays, all of which I think most of you have enjoyed. And to be clear, these are just the actual stories, not the terror radio episodes they were featured on, because I doubt anyone, including myself, has the time to listen to a six to seven hour long podcast. And this is also to show my appreciation to all of you. So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. We'll be starting off with the Grand Dame of radio thrillers, the classic Sorry, Wrong Number, starring the Grand Dame of Suspense, the great Agnes Moorhead. Following that is one of my personal, personal favorites, The Shadow People, which was featured on the radio series Hall of Fantasy. Next will be The Thing on the Forbo Board, which came to us from the radio series Quiet Please. After that, we have An Evening's Entertainment, which was featured on the 60s radio series Black Mass. Next, Three Skeleton Key, starring the incomparable Vincent Price. And this was featured on the radio series Escape. And we end with A Knock at the Door from the ultimate horror radio series Lights Out. So, let's get this party started. You know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights. And listen to Sorry Wrong Number, ending with Knock at the Door. of the United Nations. The Special Service Division presents one of America's top spine tinglers. 
a radio program dedicated to the mysterious, the unusual, and sometimes the supernatural. A program of... Suspense. I've been dialing Murray Hill 70093 now for the last three quarters of an hour, and the line is always busy. I don't see how it could be busy that long. Will you try it for me, please? I'll be glad to try that number for you. One moment, please. I don't see how it could be busy all this time. It's my husband's office. He's working late tonight, and I'm all alone here in the house. My health is very poor, and I've been feeling so nervous all day. Ringing Murray Hill 70093. Hello? Uh, hello? Is Mr. Stevenson there? Hello? Hello? Oh, hello, George. Yes, sir. This is George speaking. Hello? Who is this? What number am I calling, please? I'm here with our client now. He says the coast is clear for tonight. Yes, sir. Where are you now? In a phone booth. But don't worry. Everything's okay. Very well. Now, you know the address. At 11 o'clock, the private patrolman goes around to the bar on Second Avenue for a beer. Be sure that all the lights downstairs are on, eh? There should be only one light visible from the street. At 11.15, a train crosses the bridge. It makes a noise in case her window is open and she should scream. Oh, hello! What number is this, please? Okay, I understand. Now make it quick. As little blood as possible, eh? Our client does not wish to make us suffer long. Will a knife be okay, sir? Yeah, a knife will be okay. And uh, do you remember the other details? Yeah, yeah, I know. Remove the rings and bracelets and the jewelry and the bureau drawer. That's right. Our client wishes it to look like simple robbery. Now don't worry. Everything is going to be okay. All right, then. Be sure to... The... Oh, I... Oh! Oh, how awful! How unspeakably awful! must have got crossed. I was cut into a wrong number, and I, 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 I've just heard the most dreadful thing, something about a murder. And, operator, you'll simply have to retrace that call at once. I beg your pardon. May I help you? Oh, I, I know it was a wrong number, and I had no business listening, but these two men, they were cold-blooded fiends, and they were going to murder somebody, some poor innocent woman who was all alone in a house near a bridge, and we've got to stop them. We've got to... What number were you calling, please? Well, that doesn't matter. This was a wrong number, and you dialed it for me, and we've got to find out what it was immediately. What number did you call? Oh, why are you so stupid? What time is it? Do you mean to tell me you can't find out what that number was just now? I'll connect you with the chief operator. Oh, I think it's perfectly shameful. 
Now, look. Look, it was obviously a case of some little slip of the finger. I, I told you to try Murray Hill 70093 for me. You dialed it, but your finger must have slipped, and I was connected with some other number. And I could hear them, but they couldn't hear me. Now, now I simply failed to see why you couldn't make that same mistake again on, on purpose, why you couldn't try to dial Murray Hill 70093 in the same sort of careless way. Murray Hill 70093. I will try to get it for you. Thank you. I'm sorry, Murray Hill 
I, I mean, the murder hasn't been committed yet, but I, I, I just overheard plans for it over the telephone, over a wrong number that the operator gave me. I've been trying to trace down the call myself, but everybody is so stupid, and I, I guess in the end you're the only people who could do anything. Yes, ma'am. Well, it, it, it was a perfectly definite murder. I, I heard their plans distinctly. Uh, uh, two men were talking, and they were going to murder some woman at 11.15 tonight. She lived in a house near a bridge. Are you listening to me? Uh, 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 yes, ma'am. And, and there was a private patrolman on the street. He was going to go around for a beer on 2nd Avenue, and, and, and there was some third man, a, a client, who was uh, paying to have this poor woman murdered. They were going to take her rings and bracelets and, and, and use a knife. Well, it's, it's unnerved me dreadfully, and I'm not well. Oh, I see. And I... Uh, when was all this, ma'am? Uh, well, uh, about eight minutes ago. Oh, I... then you can do something. You do understand. Uh, what is your name, ma'am? Uh, Mrs. Stevenson, Mrs. Albert Stevenson. And your address? Uh, 53 North Sutton Place. 53 North Sutton Place. That's near a bridge. The, the Queensboro Bridge, you know, and, and, and we have a private patrolman on our street, and, and, and Second Avenue... And what was the number you were calling? Murray Hill 70093. But that wasn't the number I overheard. I, I mean, Murray Hill 70093 is my husband's office. He's, he's working late tonight, and I was trying to reach him to ask him to come home. I'm an invalid, you know, and uh, it's the maid's night off, and I hate to be alone, even though he says I'm perfectly safe as long as I have the telephone right beside my bed. Well, we'll look into it, Mrs. Stevenson. Well, and we'll see if we can check it with the telephone company. But the telephone company said they couldn't check the call if the parties had stopped talking. I've already taken care of that. Oh, you have? Yes. And personally, I feel you want to do something far more immediate and drastic than just check the call. What good does checking the call do if they stop talking? By the time you track it down, they'll already have committed the murder. Well, we'll take care of it. Don't you worry. Well, I'd say the whole thing calls for a search, a complete and thorough search of the whole city. Now, I'm very near the bridge, and I'm not far from 2nd Avenue, and I know I'd feel a lot better if, if you sent around a radio car to this neighborhood at once. And what makes you think the murder's going to be committed in your neighborhood, Oh, ma'am? well, I, I don't know. Only the coincidence is so horrible. 2nd Avenue and the uh, uh, patrolman and the bridge. 2nd uh, Avenue is a very long street, ma'am. I know. And you know how many bridges there are in the city of New York alone. Oh. Not to mention Brooklyn, Staten Island, Queens, and the Bronx. I know. How do you know there isn't some little house out on Staten Island on some little 2nd Avenue you've never even heard about? Oh. How do you know they're even talking in, about New York at all? But I heard the call in the New York dialing system. Uh, maybe it was a long-distance call you overheard. Oh, and telephones are funny things. Look, lady, why don't you look at it this way? Supposing you hadn't broken in on that telephone call. Supposing you'd got your husband the way you always do. You wouldn't be upset, would you? No, I suppose not. Only it, it, it sounded so inhuman, so cold-blooded. Well, a lot of murders are plotted in this city every day, ma'am. Well, we manage to prevent most all of them, but a clue of this kind is so vague. I... Isn't much more use to it than no clue at but all. But surely you... Unless, of course, uh, you have some reason for thinking this call was phony and that somebody may be planning to murder you. Me? Oh, you... Well, no, I hardly think so. Well, I, I mean, why should anybody? I, I, I'm alone all day and night. I, I see nobody except my maid, Eloise, and, and she's a big girl. She weighs 200 pounds. She's too lazy to bring up my breakfast tray. And the, and the only other person is my husband, Elder. He's crazy about me. He just adores me. Wait, on me hand and 
foot has scarcely left my side since I took sick 12 years ago. Well, and there's nothing for you to worry about. But... Now, if you'll just leave the rest of this to us, we'll but take care... But what will you do? It's so late. It's nearly 11 now. We'll take care of it later. Well, will you broadcast it all over the city and send out squads and, and, and warn your radio cars to watch out, especially in suspicious neighborhoods like mine? Lady, I said we'd take care of it. I... Just now, I've got a couple of other matters here on my desk that require immediate attention. Oh, good night, ma'am, and thank you. Oh, you, you idiot. Oh. oh, now, why did I hang up the phone like that? Now we'll think I am a fool. Oh, why doesn't Albert come home? Why doesn't he? Operator, for heaven's sake, will you ring that Murray Hill 70093 number again? I can't think what's keeping him so long. I will try it for you. Well, try, try. Oh. So nervous. Why you take so long? I'm sorry. Murray Hill 70093 is busy. I will call you. I can hear it. You don't have to tell me. I know it's busy. I could only get out of this bed for a little while. If I could, if I could get a breath of fresh air, or just lean out of the window, or, or see the street. Hello, Albert. Hello. 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 Oh, what's the matter with this phone? Hello. Hello. with this telephone tonight, but it's positively driving me crazy. I've never seen such inefficient, miserable service. Now, 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 look. I'm an invalid, and I'm very nervous, and I'm not supposed to be annoyed. But if this keeps on much longer... What seems to be the trouble, please? Well, everything's wrong. I haven't had one bit of satisfaction out of one call I've made this evening. The whole world could be murdered for all you people care. And now, now, my phone keeps ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing every five seconds or so. And when I pick it up, there's no one there. I'm sorry. If you will hang up, I will test it for you. I don't want you to test it for me. I want you to put that call through, whatever it is, at, at once. I'm afraid I cannot do that. You can't. And why? Why, may I ask? dial system is automatic. Oh. If someone is trying to dial your number, there is no way to check whether the call is coming through the system or not. Oh. Unless the person who is trying to reach you complains to his particular operator. Well, of all this stupid... And meanwhile, I've got to sit here in my bed suffering every time that phone rings, imagining everything. I will try to check the trouble for check you. Check it, check it. That's all anybody can do. Oh, what's the use of talking to you? You're stupid. Oh, I'll fix her of all the impudence. Oh, how dare she speak to me like that? How dare she speak to me like that? Oh. Your call, please. Young woman, I don't know your name. But there are ways of finding you out. 
And I'm going to report you to your superiors for the most unpardonable rudeness and insolence that has ever been my privilege. Give me the business office at once. You may dial that number direct. Dial it direct? I'll do no such thing. I don't even know the number. The number is in the diet directory, or you may secure it by dialing information. Now, listen here. You... Oh, what's the use? Oh, for heaven's sake, I'm going out of my mind. Uh, hello? Hello? Stop ringing me, do you hear? Answer me. Who is this? You realize you're driving me crazy? Who's calling me? What are you doing it for? Now stop it, stop it, stop it, I say. Hello? Hello? If you don't stop ringing me, I'm going to call the police, you hear? The police! <laughs> oh, if Albert would only come home. <laughs> oh, let it ring. Let it go on ringing. It's a trick of some kind. And I won't answer it. I won't. I won't. Even if it goes on ringing all night. I won't answer it. Now, what's the matter? Why did they stop ringing all of a sudden? my voice answered them just now. That's why they've been ringing me. Why no one has answered me. Call that operator again. Oh, oh where is she? Why doesn't she answer? Oh, operator. Why doesn't she answer? Your call, please. Where were you just now? Why didn't you answer at once? Give me the police department. There must be other lines available. The line is busy. Oh. I will try to get them for you later. No, no, I've got to speak to them now or it may be too late. I've got to talk to someone. What number do you wish to speak to? Please? I don't know, but there must be someone to protect people beside the police department. A, a, a detective agency. A, a... Uh, you will find agencies listed in the classified directory. But I don't have a classified directory. I I, I, I mean, I'm too nervous to I will connect you with information. Know. Perhaps she will be able to help you. No, no. Oh, no. Do you wish us to deliver a copy of the message? No. 
No, thank you. Thank you, madam. Good night. Good night. Oh, oh. oh no. No, I don't believe it. He couldn't do it. Not when he knows I'll be all alone. It's some trick. It's some trick. Something. Something is trick. I know it. Oh, oh, I'm so nervous. Oh, what is the answer? Your call, please. Operator, try that Murray Hill 7093 number for me just once more, please. You may dial that number direct. number of Hensley Hospital. Hensley Hospital? Yes. Do you have the street address? No, no, it's somewhere in the 70s. It's a very small, uh, private and exclusive hospital where I had my appendix out two years ago. Hensley, H-E-N-C-A. Will you please hurry and please, what is the time? You may find out the time by dialing Meridian 71212. Oh, for heaven's sake, I've no time to be dialing. The number of Hensley Hospital is Butterfield 70105. Butterfield 70. Oh, 105. Hensley Hospital, good evening. The nurse's registry. Who was it you wish to speak to, please? I want the nurse's registry at once. I... I, I want a trained nurse. I want to hire immediately for the night. I see. And what is the nature of the case, madam? Nerves. I, I, I'm very nervous. I, I need soothing and, and companionship. You, you see, my husband is away, and I'm... Have you been recommended to us by any doctor in particular, madam? No, but I really don't see why all this catechizing is necessary. I, I, I just want a trained nurse. I was a patient in your hospital two years ago, and after all, I, I do expect to pay this person for attending me. Well, we quite understand that, madam, but these are wartime, you know. I know that. Registered nurses are very scarce just now, and our superintendent has asked us to send people out only on cases where the physician in charge feels it's absolutely necessary. Well, it is absolutely necessary. I'm a sick woman. I'm, I'm very much upset, very I'm alone in this house, and I'm an invalid, and, and, and tonight I overheard a telephone conversation that upset me dreadfully. In fact, if, if someone doesn't come at once, I'm afraid I'll go out of my mind. I see. Well, I'll speak to Miss Phillips as soon as she comes in. And what is your name, ma'am? Miss Phillips? And when do you 
I really couldn't say. She went out to supper at 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock? But it's, it's not 11 o'clock yet. Oh, oh, my clock has stopped. I thought it was running down. What time is it? Just, just 15 minutes past 11. What was that? What was what, ma'am? That, that click just now in my own telephone. As though someone had lifted the receiver off the hook of the extension telephone downstairs. Well, I didn't hear it, madam. Now, about this... But I, I did. There's, there's someone in this house. Someone downstairs in the kitchen. And they're, they're listening to me now. They're listening! I won't... I won't pick it up. I... I won't let them hear me. I won't let them hear me. I'll be quiet. And they'll think, oh, oh, but if I don't call someone now, oh, they're still down here. Wait, there'll be no time. Your call, please. Operator, I'm, I'm in desperate trouble. I'm sorry, I cannot hear you. Please speak louder. I, 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 I don't dare. I, there's someone listening. Can, can you hear me now? I'm sorry. Oh, but you've got to, you've got to hear me. Oh, please, please, you've got to help me. There's, there's someone in this house, someone who's going to murder me, and, and you've got to get in touch with you. Oh, oh, there it is. There it is, did you hear it? He's, he's put it down. He's put down the extension phone. He's, he's coming up. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Must have got the wrong number. Police department, Martin speaking. Police department, Martin speaking. Oh, police department. I'm sorry. Must have got the wrong number. But don't worry. Everything's okay. Closes Sorry, Wrong Number, starring Agnes Moorhead. Tonight's tale of Suspense.
suspense was rebroadcast for you soldiers, sailors, and Marines of the United Nations by the Special Service Division of the War Department of the United States of America. In just a moment, the Hall of Fantasy will present The Shadow People. And now for our story, an original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne entitled The Shadow People. Somewhere along the line of your life, you've met them. You have come in contact with The Shadow People. When did we first discuss it? Oh, yes, Brian and Elaine and I. It was in my apartment. There was only one light on in the entire place. Oh. What's wrong? Oh. Elaine, what's the matter? Oh, it's, it's silly, I know, but I, I, I thought I saw something in that doorway over there. Where? Over there, right over there. Where are you going, David? Over to that archway, just to let you know that nothing's here. Huh. You see, Elaine, nothing's wrong, nothing at all. Are you satisfied that there's no one else here but us? Yes, I... Oh, I'm sorry. I just thought that I... Leave the overhead lights on. I'm sorry. I thought that... Put them back on, David, please. All right, Elaine. Look, what's bothering you, sis? I don't know. It's just that... I don't know. Tell us about it, Elaine. Tell us what's bothering you. 
You promise that you... You won't laugh at me? Of course not. Brian? Oh, Elaine, I'm your brother. If something's troubling you, I'd like to know about it. All right, then. The reason I was so upset was the fact that I saw someone or something standing in that archway. But, Elaine, David showed you that there was no one else in here. When the lights were put on, you saw for yourself that we were alone. I'm not talking about something you... You can see in the light, Brian. I'm not talking about a human being. And what's it all about, Elaine? In the darkness, I... I saw something that can't be seen in a lighted area. And I've seen it several times before. You're sure you're not imagining this, Elaine? Oh, I don't have that good an imagination, Brian. How long have you... Have you seen this thing, Elaine? Well, it... It started about six weeks ago. You were in Detroit on business, Brian. Mom and Dad were on vacation... I was in the house by myself, in the library. There was only one light on. I sat in the chair beneath it, reading. Several times I thought that something was watching me. I felt there was someone in the room with me, standing right in back of me. Every so often I'd glance back over my shoulder, but there seemed to be nothing there. And then... Then I thought I heard someone whispering. I wasn't sure, but when I heard it again, I got up and I, I, I looked all over the house. Oh, I'm not easily frightened, you know that, but, but out in the hallway, it was almost entirely black. Luckily, I was near a light switch. I looked back over my shoulder and, and I saw this huge, hulking shape for the first time. And I heard a voice. Or rather, the whisper of a voice. I couldn't distinguish the words, but that dark shape seemed to be moving towards me. My hand was on the light switch, and I turned it on. In a minute, the light flooded the hallway. The shape was gone. There was nothing there. I was alone again. As long as there's light, I know it can't hurt me. I know it can't reach me. You might have imagined it, you know. Of course, that's possible, but I'm sure I didn't. It was so real. So real, that shape in the darkness. It was the very essence of evil itself. There was an old man I knew of, a Dr. Hesedius. I'd heard that he knew quite a good deal about the supposed supernatural manifestations which had taken place in the world. I went to him to see if he knew anything that might explain the events of the story Elaine had told us. Yes, my good sir. What do you wish? I have an appointment with Dr. Decelius. Oh, yes, yes. He mentioned something about it. You are Mr. Drake? Yes. If you'll come inside. Thank you. Dr. Decelius is in the study. Please come with me. Doctor, a visitor for you. Oh, yes. Bring him in. You may go now. Yes, Doctor. Mr. Drake? Yes. Sit down, please, in that chair over there. Thank you, sir. Now, what is the nature of your visit to me? Well, I understand, Dr. Vesalius, that you have a great knowledge of the supernatural manifestations which have occurred on the earth. Great knowledge, Mr. Drake? No, hardly that. I have only scratched the surface in my years of study. 
Perhaps I can help you. Then again, perhaps I cannot. Well, may I tell you a story? By all means, my good sir. All right. Now, this didn't happen to me, Doctor, but to my fiancée. It seems that about six weeks ago, when she was alone... But when the light was on, the dark form disappeared. And that's the story, sir. As much of it as I can remember. Mm-hmm. I see. It's a strange tale to tell. I'm fully aware of that, Dr. Vesuvius. You say she seemed to hear whispered voices? Yes, that's what she says. I see. A moment, please. I have a book in my file. Oh, yes. Here it is. This is the one. Yes. Perhaps I may be able to help you after all. Let me see. This is a very ancient book, Mr. Drake. I seem to remember... Yes. Here is an account of a happening such as you relate. And we shall live on the earth, and they shall not see us. Yes, it has been foretold by the ruler of the darkness. They who live by day, retire to sleep by night, shall never know that we walk with them, that we watch them, that we wait for our chance. Only in the night will they see us, for in the daylight we are not seen. Only in the night, when the darkness grows together and the forms of the shadow people are shaped from the blackness, they will know us. Then they will know that we are their companions, for we are the shadow people. I knew I had read something similar to the story you have told me, Mr. Drake. Dr. Asilius, what can we do? Well, give me a little time. Let me see if I can find any more references to these uh, people of the darkness. One more thing, Mr. Drake. Be sure that your fiancée is never left alone at night. Be sure that there is some living thing, animal or human, which accompanies her every second of the night. For she is in danger, Mr. Drake. A terrible danger. Back now to our story. An original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne, entitled The Shadow People. That night, the night of the day I had seen Cecilius, Elaine's mother died. She died in her sleep. When she failed to appear for breakfast, Elaine's father went upstairs to see what was wrong. When he entered her room, he discovered that she was dead. The family doctor couldn't explain it, for Elaine's mother had been in perfect health. A few weeks later, I was out of the house spending a weekend with them. I glanced at the clock on the mantel, and it showed eleven. understand why Brian hasn't returned from town. Well, he said he had some extra work to catch up on. He told me this morning that he might be late. Well, 11 o'clock, I'm going upstairs. Glad you came out, David. It's good seeing you again. It's a pleasure to be here, sir. Well, don't stay up too late. See you both in the morning. All right. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mr. Davis. He isn't the same, David. Ever since Mother died, he hasn't been the same. I didn't realize it until tonight. It's changed. I only hope that he'll start living again. Ever since she died, it, it seems that a part of him died with her. Elaine, have you been... 
I mean, have you seen anything else since you spoke to me last? No, I haven't. Ever since Mother died, nothing's happened. Well, I only hope. <laughs> Came from upstairs. Come on. You don't think... I don't know what to think. I only hope... David. David, if anything's happened to him... We'll see in a moment. There's no light in his room. You wait here, Elaine. Where's the light? Over to your left. Why didn't you leave the light on? Your father's dead, Elaine. <laughs> I'd walked into the darkened bedroom. On the bed was Elaine's father. It didn't take a second look for me to know that he was dead. I switched off the light and walked back into the hallway to tell Elaine what happened. And then from the room there had come an eerie, quiet laughter... In the darkness of that room was some unknown evil power. The voice itself was unearthly. There was no substance to it. It sounded as if... as if it came from the darkness itself. No. No, I don't believe you. It's the truth, Elaine. There's nothing more I can do. We'll have to notify the police. Tell me it's not the truth, David. Tell me it's not true. I'm sorry, Elaine. I wish I could. Your father's dead. After the burial, Dr. Hesselius got in touch with me. He said that he wanted to meet both Elaine and Brian, that he wanted to talk to the three of us. Accordingly, a few nights later, he came out to their house. Stavis, will you tell me just when you saw the first manifestation? The night Brian was in Detroit. No, Miss Davis, you have even seen this apparition in the company of other people, is that correct? Yes. The night at David's apartment. All right. Now I'll tell you what I think. You are in deadly danger, Miss Davis. These beings want to claim you. So far, they have had no success. Only in the darkness do they have power. Little by little, step by step, they have been removing the obstacles in their way to reaching you. First your mother, and then your father, Miss Davis. Both died in the same fashion. In the darkness, death struck at them. Now tell me, do you feel their presence here in this room as I talk to you? Yes. Turn out the lights, Brian. Stand by the switch, if you please, Brian. If anything happens, turn the lights back on. All right. Dr. Vasilius, I don't... Do you want me to continue working with you? Yes, sir. All right, then. Brian, turn off the lights. Yes, doctor. The room now is in darkness, Miss Davis. Do you feel or see anything? No, I... Yes. Yes, I do. Do you see anything? Yes. Be quiet, you fool. I know what I'm doing. In front of me. The darkness gathering together into a huge, terrible... Not only do you see us, Miss Davis, but everyone else in the room also will see the vague shapes forming themselves in the blackness. We do not want you, Dr. Hesselius. The girl we want. We advise you to drop this case. You'll only bring down the wrath of the shadow people upon your head. The girl. We want the girl. Do not stop us. Let us take her now. Turn on the light. They're gone. Mr. Davis, 
Are you all right? Yes. Yes, I am. Just as she said. The darkness. I, I saw it form into something, too. So did I. What are we going to do, Dr. Hesselius? At the present moment, I don't know. But it's much I do know. You must leave this house immediately. You must try to get out of their reach. I don't know if that is possible. I hope it is. I shall have to return to my home. I must learn if there is some manner by which we can defeat these creatures. For the moment, leave this house. Dispose of it in any manner you may see fit, but leave this house. Back now to our story. An original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne entitled The Shadow People. spent the night in my apartment, the three of us. The following day, Brian and Elaine made arrangements to dispose of the house. In the afternoon, Dr. Hesselius called me and asked that I come to see him. David, I'm glad you're here. Anything new, Doctor? Yes and no. You realize, of course, that this spiritual manifestation is not new, that it has gone on for centuries. No, I wasn't aware of that. It's true, David. De Maupassant wrote uh, what was supposedly a fiction story about the manifestation, David. He called it... Uh, Orla. However, according to the information here on my desk, it was taken from an actual case history. Of course, he embroidered the story, added a few touches to something he didn't realize actually existed. But have you found anything with which we can fight them? Everything depends upon an answer I received from a colleague of mine in Paris, Dr. Henri Renault. I dispatched a telegram to him last night. Why hasn't he answered by now? There are certain things that must be done. It will take a few days, I'm afraid. We have to wait, David. There's nothing else we can do. In the next few days, the house was sold, and Brian and Elaine moved into a newer, more modern home a few miles from my apartment. Cecilia said it might take a few days for them to build up their power. I spent the night at the new house. The lights were left on, and I watched for any unusual occurrence. In the daytime, I'd return to my apartment and get some sleep. About four days after Elaine and Brian moved into the new house, I was at home when Hesedius phoned me. Hello? David? Yes, Dr. Hesedius? I hate to tell you this, David. What's the matter? What's wrong? They were a step ahead of me, David. I just received word that Renault died or was killed at the very moment I sent the telegram to him. Step by step, they had outwitted us. For they had anticipated every move we'd make. Even Dr. Hesterius was at a loss as to what to do. He agreed to meet me at the Davis house. What did you want to see us about, Dr. Hesterius? Did you find out anything more? I'm sorry to say that I haven't. At the moment, I'm at a complete loss. I don't know what to do. But what did you want to see us about this evening? Merely to check, to see if anything else has happened. Miss Davis, have you seen or heard anything? Not in the house. Only in my dreams. Your dreams? Yes. When I go to sleep at night, in my dreams, in the darkness, I see them. And it's grown worse, much worse. I was hoping that it would not have progressed so far. There has been no disturbance in this house, but now they disturb your sleep, Miss Davis. Now, you must stay awake for as long as you can. I want the three of you to move into my house. 
Perhaps that will give you more protection. That night, we moved over to Isidia's house. Perhaps Elaine would have more protection there. From there, we might be able to devise some plan of action, some way to beat those beings. For a few days, things were quiet. The shadow people seemed to have withdrawn. For a while, I thought that we might have succeeded in thwarting their purpose. Elaine no longer complained of troubled sleep. But that condition lasted for a few days only. About ten days later, they made themselves known and felt again. That night, we were in the study. When suddenly, Hesilius whirled around and... Elaine, what are you looking at? Outside the house. Right where the light leaves off, I see them. She's right, Dr. Hesilius. I can see them, too. What should we do, Doctor? Nothing. What do you mean, nothing? There's nothing we can do. We can't just... We can't do anything, Brian. Don't you understand that they have us at their mercy? The greatest man in my field was Henri Renault. If he could do nothing against them, what do you think we can do? He's right, Brian. There's nothing we can do. As long as the house remains lighted, just so long will they remain outside. If the lights were... That sounds... My father was killed. The same sound. We heard the same sound. The lights... What's happened to oh, the lights, all right? Be quiet, please. I thought of this emergency. A candle. That's right, Miss Davis. As long as this burns, this one candle will be safe. For they cannot advance into the light. They are limited by the darkness. As long as the candle burns, they will have to remain outside of this room. Outside, we are around you. This time you shall not escape. This time we will claim you. Take it easy, Brian. I can't stand it. Get out of here. Brian, come back. Don't be a fool. I'm going after him. Stay here. We just can't let him go. We don't have a chance. I doubt it. <laughs> Miss Davis, I'm afraid that your brother is dead. <laughs> The wind, Doctor. Listen to the wind. I know. Yes, Doctor. Listen to the wind. You must realize by now that the three of you haven't a chance. You must know in your minds that we can destroy you at any moment we desire. But, Dr. Hesilius, you may still save your own life. Let the others go. Give them to us. No. No, you will have to take all of us. Shall we destroy your light? Shall we move in on you now? <laughs> as you will. Do as you will. Sorry, David. Candle is out. In the darkness. The figures in the darkness. We warned you, Asilius. You and the others. 
are dead now. And we shall live on the earth. And man in the day shall not see us. They will know that we wait for our chance. That we walk with them. Only in the night, when the darkness grows together and the forms of the shadow people are shaped from the blackness will they see us. Then they will know that we are their companions. Look next to you. There, in the shadows. <laughs> Tonight's tale of the unusual, the terrifying, the unknown. Join us again when next we journey down the corridor of the Hall of Fantasy to hear another strange tale of the supernatural. All characters and events portrayed in these programs are fictional, and any similarity to actual events or persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. Broadcasting System presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for tonight is called The Thing on the Furble Board. Me, I'm a roughneck. Well, I was a roughneck, I mean, 20 years ago, a little too old, too slow now. Besides, I got a dollar now. I don't have to be a roughneck, you see. Married, got a nice home. Had to meet my wife. Hey, Mike. Her name's Maxine, but she likes to be called Mike. Mike! I guess she's busy out in the kitchen someplace. Besides, she doesn't hear very well. Shame, too, she's so pretty and everything. Well, you'll meet her. Sit down. I was saying I was a roughneck. Well, no, that doesn't mean exactly what you think it means. A roughneck is an oil field worker, specifically a guy in a drilling crew. Call them roughnecks like you call a section hand on the railroad a gandy dancer, a garage hand a grease monkey. Same time you work around a drilling crew for a while, you're going to be a roughneck in every sense of the word, boy. A derrick floor or a forble board is no place for a guy with a bow tie. Because... Yeah, when you have to fool around with drilling holes that go farther down the ground than it is from the top of Pike's Peak down to sea level. Yeah, sure they do. By the time I was a roughneck, we'd got this one well down to 7,313 feet. That was a record. But last May, Pure Oil brought one in out in the Natrona Valley in Wyoming at 14,309 feet. That, friend, is almost three miles. Quite a hole, that, huh? 
Sure, I don't think there's an all man in the world that don't wonder one time or another what's down there, besides rock and oil and gas. Oil that's made out of trees that died 20 million years ago. Oil that's made out of dinosaur bones. Oil that's maybe made out of the flesh and blood of men, maybe, that beat each other to death with a stone axe. Ate saber-toothed tiger for lunch. Yeah, you get to wondering. You look at the cores that come up from way down there, and sometimes the little shells, trilobites mostly, that was alive when Manhattan Island, where New York is, was under half a mile of ice. We found something once, me and Billy Grunwald, and something found us. I'll tell you about it. We were down to around 5,400 feet. We'd set casing. We began to get water, so we had to stop drilling and cement off. Well, you see, when water begins to seep in the hole, you pull your drill pipe, then you let down a cementing shoe inside the casing, and you plug up the bottom of the hole, casing and all, with quick-hardening waterproof cement. Then when it's hard, you drill through the cement and go on down, and the cement outside the casing at the bottom keeps the water out. Well, we had the drill pipe all pulled and racked, and the cement was setting, see? So we was shut down, waiting for it to harden. We'd been coring just before... Well, you see, a, a core drill is hollow, and as the bit digs down, it stuffs the drillings up inside it, so when you pull it out, you got a sample of the kind of stuff you're going through. And a geologist can tell a lot from that. So there's nobody around the rig except me that night. The rest of the crew's going into town. I was toasting some pork chops over the forge for myself, so I heard a car pulling up. Look out, it's Billy Grunewald, the geologist, and I give him a hello. Hi, Billy, come and have a pork chop. Hi, Porky. Ah. Where's everybody? They yeah, all went to town. I'm the whole crew. Yeah, I had three blowouts between here and Oxnard. Yeah, I wondered where you was. Ted said you'd be in here about three. Yeah, I would have been, except for my tough luck. Oh, oh, I'm dead. Yeah, hungry? Starved. Yeah, I got six, no, seven pork chops. And bread. And some coffee, kind of. Swell. Hey, I got a bottle in the car. <laughs> We're going to have a banquet. Hey, where's that core? That's what I came up here to look at. Yeah, back there on the bench. Look at it after supper. Hey. What? Didn't you say you were all alone here? Uh huh. I thought I heard somebody talking. Yeah. I don't see anybody. We'll keep an eye on that pork chop. You won't have any supper. Yeah, I'm watching it. Yeah, let me put the coffee on. Like so. When did you finish cementing? This morning. Last tower only made about ten feet of hole, so Ted shut down before we get flooded out of house and home. Funny about that water. How? Oughtn't to be any at that level, according to my figuring. Well, there is. Is it salt? Sure, right out of the bottom of the ocean. Hmm, that's funny. Well, maybe I'll be able to tell something from the core. Yeah, I hope so. The last core I looked at, I'd have sworn we were getting into shale. Ain't seen none yet from the cuttings. That's funny. Here, your pork chop's done. Yeah, take some bread. Yeah, thanks. Oh, man. Good, huh? <laughs> and put on another. I had two already before you come. Yeah, I'm much obliged. Yeah, you know, you never can tell what's down there. You get it all mapped and plotted out, all the strata. And all you know is what comes out of the hole. Yeah. I'd like to go down there sometime if I was little enough. 
Never get you down a hole. Hell, you'd fit. You're skinny. I'll stay up here and look at the cores, bud. Where is that one? Behind you. Over there. Hmm? Oh. Well, I'll have a look at it. Well, why don't you wait you finish your supper? I'm just going to look at it. Uh, put on another pork chop for me. Okay. Well, I wish those screech owls would be... What's the matter? Hey, wait a minute, Porky. Well, why did... Listen. What's eating you? You know, I'd have sworn there's somebody up there in that portable board. Ah, you're crazy. There's nobody up there. You're going to get those stands of drill pipes. Ah, they're just rack crooked. One of them slipped. Come on back and eat your pork chop. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess so. Only I... Ah, what's just so jittery about Billy? Come on, eat your sandwich. Here. Yeah, well, thanks, Porky. I don't know. I, I'm just naturally that way, I guess. I'm always scared of the dark. Doc Gunner, I I hate to be a baby, but I can't help it. Scared of the dark? Honest? Stupid, ain't it? Oh, I don't know. Everybody's scared of something. Me? Spiders scare the tar out of me. Black widows. (laughs) I know how you feel, Billy. There another light over here? Yeah. Yeah. Here. Ah. Oh, that's better. Hey, listen, uh, Porky. Go out to the car and look in the left-hand door pocket and bring back that bottle, will you? That's what I need. Okay, kid. Okay. So I picked up a flashlight. I turned around and went outside. I found the car. And I got the bottle. And the floor of the derrick was all lit up. And when I saw a beam of light suddenly flash up toward the forbal board... I laughed. (laughs) Billy Grunewald and his ideas. Sure, I looked up. There wasn't a darn thing up there, except the drill pipe racked against the fingerboard. Oh, this, uh, forble board. Well, you've seen oil derricks or pictures of them. Do you know that little platform that runs around the outside of the derrick about halfway up? Well, that's the forble board. Well, you see, drill pipe comes in lengths, and you handle them with several lengths screwed together so as to save time getting them in now the hole. Two lengths is a double, three is a triple, four is a forble. When you pull a pipe, you heist it up inside the derrick with a traveling block, which moves up and down from the crown block at the top of the derrick. Then when a forble of pipe is pulled out, it's held in the rotary table. You break the joint with tongs, like a great big stilts and wrench, you see. Snub a cable that's fastened to the handle over the cat head on the draw works, and that breaks the joint. Then you hold the tongs on the pipe, give the rotary table a few turns to unscrew it. You heist away with the traveling block and swing it over against the fingerboard, lean it against the derrick. The guy up on the forble board takes off the traveling block. You do it all over again until you got all the pipe out, you see? Well, there wasn't anybody up on the forble board uh, except a screech owl, and it flew away. So Billy turned his light off and... I come on inside. And just as I come up the steps, he let out a yell. Yay! What's the matter? What's the matter, Billy? Hey, come here. Look here. Well, what's it? Look, Porky. My... Where did you find that? Now, listen, Porky. I give you my word. That was embedded in the core. Why, it couldn't be. I tell you, it was. Look where I dug it out. You know what? 
That rock there comes from a mile underground. And it's been a mile underground for a million years. And look at this. And I did look. And what he was holding was a gold ring. And it was all carved and filigreed, just like jewelry. And there wasn't any kidding about it. It was real. Wait a minute. Hang on. I ain't done. I poked at the Cora rock that looked like a uh, kind of petrified salami or something. And then it was my turn to pretty near jump out of my pants. Because right alongside the place where Billy dug out the ring, there was a mud-covered but very unmistakable finger. I picked it up. And it was cold. And it was heavy. And it was solid rock. At least it felt like solid rock. And I looked at Billy, and Billy looked at me. He started to rub the mud off this here stone finger. And as he rubbed it, it began to disappear. No, he could, he could still feel it, he said, but when the mud was gone, neither one of us could see it. And he dropped it to the derrick floor. It went clunk and... We couldn't find it any place. So you know what we've done? When we took that bottle and we took and finished it, Billy and me, we finished it in one slug of peas and it was a full pint of bathtub gin. It tasted just like so much well water to me. And then we sat down on the derrick floor and we looked at each other. We didn't say a word. My eyes got heavier and heavier. The last thing I remember was I heard some kind of noise that seemed to be coming up from down the forbal board 80 feet above us. I shut my eyes a minute. I guess I went to sleep. And I had awful dreams. Black Widow... Spiders crawling all over me with gold rings on their legs. Things I could hear but I couldn't see up on the forbal board. Billy Grunewald climbing up the ladder outside the derrick in the moonlight. Faces looking at me and I couldn't figure out who they were. Then I was waked up by a horrible scream. The crash alongside me that shook the whole derrick. I opened my eyes to see Billy Grunewald lying on the floor two feet away with a broken neck. With a broken neck and his left hand. Well, he put the gold ring on the little finger of his left hand and the way his arms were spread out, his left little finger and the ring were gone. friend, I got out of there. I run down to where Billy had left his car, and I got in. I stepped on the starter, and I couldn't get it to go, and then I remembered after I'm pretty near run down the battery that Billy had taken a key. I wasn't going up there and go through a dead man's clothes to get it. So I sat there in the car and shivered all by myself till daylight. 
again. Then Ted and the crew came. Afterwards, a state cop and everybody in the world was asking me questions. Did you and Billy have a fight, Porky? I told you we didn't, Ted. But you had been drinking. We only had that little pipe, Ted. Well, what was he doing up on the formal board? Did you threaten him, and did he run up there to get away from Listen, you? Listen, cop, don't be a chump. Billy Grunewald and I were good friends. Then why'd you push him off the formal board? I didn't, I tell you. I, I wasn't up there. Well, what did he go up there for? I don't know. I was asleep. How do you know he was up there? I didn't say he was. You said so. Besides, how would he break his neck if he didn't fall from way up there? Well, look, officer. I think it was just another accident. I mean, we haven't got anything on Porky, and personally, I don't believe he did it. Well, it's mighty mysterious. So it is. But we got work to do. Now, how about it? That cement's hard down there, and I want to start drilling again, and I'm short-handed. Will you let Porky stay here till I run in my pipe again and... Well, then you can take him and ask him questions till you're blue in the face. Well, I... okay. Let's get rolling. They got steam up, Hoppy? I'm a little fat. All right. Porky, you go from the formal board. What? Not me, Ted. Oh, don't be such a boob. There's nobody up there to shove you overboard. Hey, you can put a safety line around you if you want to. And besides, you're getting paid to do what you're told. I've lost too much time already. Okay, I go up on the formal board. And you can bet I took a good gander around before I did anything else. Now I couldn't see a thing. So I signaled to the driller to let down the traveling block, and he did. Came sailing down from up above. I was just reaching for it to pick up the first formal drill pipe. Gave a big jerk, and the cable broke. It dropped and nearly pulled me off the formal board. And it landed right on top of Ted. And if you have any idea what a guy looks like after two tons of metal land on him from 80 feet up, you keep your ideas to yourself. Well, that was enough. Two accidents in a row. The whole crew quit. They they wasn't going to wait for a third. And it was Ted's money that was paying off. There wasn't any more, and... As far as I know... The abandoned Derek is still there. And that was 20 years ago. Oh, I forgot to tell you something. That traveling block was right in front of my face when it broke loose. It was hanging by steel cable, three-quarter inch steel cable. And I saw that cable break right before my eyes. It looked just like a piece of string when you snap it between your fingers. I could almost see the fingers. You know what? There was something up there on the formal board with me. And so a couple of days later I came back. I I don't know if there's anything in the world as desolate, as dismal, as dead-looking as an abandoned oil well rig. There it stands like a skeleton off on a deserted side road in the bare yellow hills surrounding it and It's the deadest thing you ever saw. I sat in my car for a long time looking at it. Everything was just the way we'd left it. I I looked in at the floor. The smashed traveling block was there alongside the rotary table. There was a little mutter of steam from the boiler. That was all. Then I heard a tinkle of something as it hit the ground alongside me. I looked around. There wasn't a soul in sight. But at my feet, 
was the gold ring that Billy Grunewald and I had found in a core of rock that came from a mile underground and from a million years ago in time. And I heard a little sound. The sound of a kid crying. And there wasn't any kid up there. And I heard it again, and it came from above my head, and, and I... I took out my revolver. I loaded it carefully. I started up the ladder to the formal board. Well, there wasn't anything up there, nothing I could see. But there was a voice crying. The voice of a little kid. And then there was a movement behind the rack of drill pipes, and I saw the pipe move, and I yelled, Come out of there, whoever you are! Come out, or I'll start shooting! And the stand of pipes shivered, and I thought, what can it be that can handle that heavy pipe like, like Jack Straws? And then there was a crash. The whole stand of pipe fell over, and I just got out of the way in time. And I was alone on the forble board with the thing. But I couldn't see it. I felt the platform tremble under my feet again as something moved toward me. I fired two or three shots. And nothing happened. I started backwards. I knew it was following me because I could hear it meowing like a cat. My feet tripped over something. I saw it was a big can of red lead that somebody had left up there. Without thinking, I picked it up and I threw it at the sound and it splashed. And there it was. And I wish I... I wish... The face of a little girl, frightened, crying with hunger and terror. Hands like a human being and a finger missing from the left hand. And a body. Well, I'll tell you about that. I told you how I'm scared of spiders. But I knew where it came from. It had come from the bowels of the earth, come riding up on the drill pipe as we yanked it out of the well. Come to an alien world and was lost. It stood there dripping with red paint, blood red from head to foot like some horrible dream. And it put its hand on my arm. Its hand was stone. Living, moving stone. And it looked into my eyes and mewed like a lost kitten. Twenty years ago, I discovered many things about it, what it used for food, that it was deaf, that it was invisible and couldn't see people when it was invisible, that if you sprayed it with mud or paint or grease paint, makeup, then it could see people. And believe me, I didn't want to see its body. I can see that in my nightmares. But its face, I can't help wanting to see that Pathetic little girl face. I'm afraid maybe I've fallen. Ah, but it's very beautiful. And when it's well made up, it's... 
But making it up, rubbing grease paint on a stone face that looks at you and smiles and it makes sounds like a lost kitten yet. I can disguise the body in long dresses. She can't hear very well. And when she's hungry, I have to stay out of her way. I found out what she likes to eat, remember? No, no, sit still. Sit still, do. Sit still or I'll have to shoot you. I want you to meet my wife. Or rather, my wife wants to meet you. Mike. Mike. There she is. Come on in, dear. Tonight's Quiet Please story is The Thing on the Furble Board. It was written and directed by Willis Cooper and featured Ernest Chappell. And Dan Sutter played Billy Grunwald. Pat O'Malley was Ted. And Cecil Roy was also a member of the cast. As usual, music for Quiet Please is played by Albert Berman. Sound? Sound by our good friend Albert April. Now, for a word about next week, here is our writer-director, Willis Cooper. Well, I'm reasonably sure that all the characters in tonight's stories were completely fictional. At least I, for one, hope so. Next week, the story is called Presto Changeo, I'm sure. And so, until next week at the same time, I am quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. This program was heard in Canada through the facilities of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Welcome to the Black Mass. Tonight, here is a tale about olden times, based, more or less, on the story by Montague Rhodes James, An Evening's Entertainment.
nothing is more common form in old-fashioned books than the description of the window fireside, where the aged grandam narrates to the circle of children that hangs on her lips story after story of ghosts and fairies, and inspires her audience with a pleasing terror. But we're never allowed to know what the stories were. Here then is a problem which has long obsessed me, but I see no way of solving it finally. The aged grandams are gone, and the collectors of folklore began their work too late to save most of the actual stories which the grandams told. Yet such things don't easily die quite out. And imagination working on scattered hints may be able to devise a picture of just such an evening's entertainment. Let's see now. There's the fire burning brightly in the large stone fireplace. On the one side sits the squire, exhausted by a long day after the partridges and replete with food and drink. On the other side, his old mother sits with her knitting, and the children, Charles and Fanny, are gathered about her knee. Oh, I want to wind Granny's yarn. You did it last time. No, you did it twice before that. Well, that doesn't count because... Oh, now, now, my dears, you must be very good and quiet, or you'll wake your father, and you know what'll happen then. Oh, yes, I know. He'll be wounded, cross-tempered, and send us off to bed. What's that? Fie on you, Charles. That's not a way to speak. Now, I was to have told you a story, but if you use such like words, I shan't. Oh, oh Granny, oh, please. Granny. Oh, please, we'll be shh, 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 shh. Oh, now I do believe you have woken your father. Look there, Mother. You, you can keep them brats quiet. Yes, John, yes, yes, it's too bad. I've been telling them if it happens again, off to bed they shall go. There now. You see, children, what did I tell you? You must be good and sit still. And I'll tell you what. Tomorrow you shall go a blackberry. <gasps> and, and if you bring home a nice basket full, I'll make you some jam. Oh, yes, Granny, do. And I know where the best blackberries are. I, I saw them today. Oh, and where's that, Charles, dear? Uh, I know too, Granny. It, it's in the little lane. Well, it's it's in, in the little lane that goes up past Collins Cottage. Charles? Fanny? Whatever you do, don't you dare to pick one single blackberry in that lane. Don't you know? There, how should you? What was I thinking of? Well, anyway, you both mind what I say. Why, Granny? Why shouldn't we pick them? Why shouldn't we pick them? Shh! Remember what I told your father. But, but, Granny, why? Very well, then. I'll tell you about it. Only you mustn't interrupt. Here, Fanny, you can take the knots out of this skein for Granny. Now, let me see. Oh, my, sounds like a storm blowing up outside, doesn't it, children? Well, no matter. We are safe and warm inside, aren't we? Well, now, that lane. All this, mind you, happened when I was quite a little girl. 
That lane was feared even then, and as far back as anyone can remember. And if something that happened to your granny on that lane is any indication, I've often wondered if there was any connection between what I saw and all that about Mr. Davis and his friend that I'm about to tell you. What did you see, Granny? Yes, what did you see, Granny? What did you see? Well, you know that lane passes near to the top of that hill uh, where you've seen that old figure cut out in the crag. Well, I was passing along there one evening. I was already late getting home for my supper. But I remember seeing the currant and gooseberry bushes along the side leading to the top of the hill. The berries were ever so ripe and delicious. And before I realized, I had followed them, tasting one bush, then another, near to the top of the hill. Then I stopped for a moment. I was sure I heard something. Voices, I thought. But I, I couldn't make out plainly because of the wind. I couldn't make out whether they were coming from the top of the hill or from inside. Somewhere inside the hill itself, voices singing or calling or something. I wasn't frightened at all at first, and I remember walking farther up to see where the sounds were coming from, and the farther up I went, the more it seemed the voices were from all around me, from below as well as above. Then, suddenly, you know all those strange old rocks around the top of that hill? Well, beside one of those rocks, no one believed me when I told the story later, or made out they didn't believe me. Well, what I saw was a hand. A whole arm reaching up from out of the earth. Now, they, they say that the hill had once been a burial place in ancient times, and that a skeleton arm could very well be unearthed by the rains. <laughs> but that was no skeleton arm. There was flesh on it, dark and old and long nails. You can believe me or not, but I say I saw that arm reaching up out of the earth. And it wasn't a dead arm. When I came nearer, I saw its fingers moving like it was in pain, like it was beckoning me to help it. The rest of it, out of the earth. Now, I, I told you that I wasn't afraid, and that's true, until I got so close that it almost touched me. But then, then suddenly, a terrible fear overcame me, and I ran, ran all the way down the hill. And I have never once set foot on that place since. Well, now, it... 
was only a short while after that that the events I was going to tell you about began. Uh, careful, Fanny, not too close to the fire with that yarn. That's better. Well, now, up at the far end of that lane, let, let me see, is it on... Is it on the right or the left-hand side as you go up? Oh, yes, the left-hand side. You'll find a little patch of bushes and rough ground in the field and something like a broken old hedge round about and the kind of gooseberry and currant bushes I told you about growing among it. Well, that means there was a cottage stood there, of course. And in that cottage there lived a man named Davis. This Mr. Davis lived very much to himself. He, he didn't work for any of the farmers, having, as it seemed, enough money of his own to get along. But he'd go to town on market days. And one day he came back from market and brought a young man with him. And this young man and he lived together for some long time and, and went about together. And whether he just did the work of the house for Mr. Davis, or whether Mr. Davis was his teacher in some way, nobody seemed to know. He was a pale young man and hadn't much to say for himself. Well, now, what did those two men do with themselves? <laughs> of course, I can't tell you half the foolish things that the people got into their heads. And we know, don't we, that you mustn't speak evil when you aren't sure it's true, even when people are dead and gone. But as I said, those two were always about together, late and early, and there's one walk that they take regularly to the place on the hill that I just told you about, and it was noticed that in the summertime they'd camp out there all night. I remember once my father, that's your great-grandfather, told me he had spoken to Mr. Davis and his young friend one evening when he met them on the road. He asked them why they were so fond of going up there. Why? Why, sir? It's a wonderful old place, and I've always been fond of the old-fashioned things. And when him my boy here and me are together there. It seems to bring back the old times of plain. Well, it may suit you, but I shouldn't like to be in a lonely place like that in the middle of the night. Oh, sir, we don't want for company at such times. That is to say, Mr. Davies and me is company enough for each other. Ain't it so, Master? Aye. Then there's a beautiful air there of a summer night. And you can see all the country round under the moon. Oh, it looks so different, seemingly, from what it do in the daytime. Them bars there, the mounds, all over up there. Now, what would you think was the purpose of them, sir? Why, I've heard, Mr. Davis, that they're all graves. And I know when I've had occasion to plough up one, there's always been some old bones and pots turned up. But whose graves they are, I don't know. People say the ancient Romans were all about this country at one time. But whether they buried their people like that, I can't tell. Ah, to be sure. Well, they look to me to be older like than the ancient Romans. And dressed different. Uh, that's to say, according to the pictures the Romans was in armor. 
And you didn't never find no armor, did you, sir? Ain't that by what you said? Well, I don't know that I mentioned anything about armor. But it's true, I don't remember to have found any. But you talk as if you'd seen them, Mr. Davis. Seen them, sir? That would be a difficult matter after all these years. Not but what I should like well enough to know more about them old times and people, and what they worshipped and all. Worshipped? Well, I dare say I've heard and read about them heathens and their worship, torture and dances, behavior lewd and ungodly, sacrifices. Oh, torture and dances, you say? Sacrifices, you say? Oh. Lewd and ungodly behavior. What manner do you suppose? Read about them, you say. Heathen, you say. That was the only time my father had much talk with Mr. Davis. It was around that time that people believed some sort of meetings went on at night time on that hill, and that those who went there were up to no good. And there was known to be others besides Mr. Davis and his young man, I mean. And it was only guessed what really went on. Dances and torches, Not so close to the fire with the yarn, Fanny dear. Now mind what I say, else you find yourself going up in flames. Don't stretch that skein so, Charles. Hold it loosely. That's it. Well, now. Well, I suppose it was a matter of three years that Mr. Davis and this young man went on living together. And then, all of a sudden, a dreadful thing happened. I don't know if I ought to tell you what it was. Oh, yes, yes granny. please, Granny, granny, granny please. please. Well, then, you must promise not to get frightened and go screaming out into the middle of the night. Oh, no, we no, won't. we won't. Of course we won't. Well, one morning, very early, towards the turn of the year, I think it was in September, one of the woodmen had gone up to his work near the hillside just as it was getting light. What he saw nearly drove the poor man out of his wits. He dropped everything he was carrying and, and ran as hard as ever he could straight down to the parsonage and woke up old Mr. White. Uh, parson, uh, Parson White, uh, Parson White. What is it, man? Hope. Oh. Quiet glory be, what's the matter with you? Oh, Parson, sir, come with me quickly. It's oh, horrible, it's man. horrible. Oh, but what? you must come with me to see what's been calm done. What's down, been calm done. Miss, will you quiet down and tell me what it is, man? What have you seen? Oh, oh in the little woods near the hill, yes, there. Oh, yes. oh, sir, I was going up to my work and, and I saw it in a clearing. A white thing, what, what oh. looked like uh, through the mist. A white like a man. Uh, like a man, sir. And when I came near, I saw it was a man. Mr. Davies, young man, sir. What? Oh, he, he, he was dressed in a sort of white gown, sir. And, oh, foolishness. Yes, he was, and he was hanging by his neck to the limb of the biggest oak. Quite, 
quite dead, sir. Glory be. But, but, but the real horrible thing, sir, was his hands. His hands. Oh, oh, I don't think there were any hands. What? No, I, I couldn't rightly see for, for the blood, sir. Oh, the blood. May the Lord bless us and save us. What a sight to behold. A demon's work, if ever I saw on himself before us. His left hand chopped clean off. Oh, if clean we can call it. Maybe cleansed would be the word for it. Cleansed, but for the right. Blood! Blood! Uh, oh, there, Parson, oh. there, just below. I hadn't seen before. Look, sir. What? Oh! The hatchet! Oh. The hatchet on the ground the here. Stuck with blood and bits of flesh. Horrible. Uh, some flies on it already. Oh, don't touch it. Don't uh, touch it. Do you think, sir? that this is a murder. It's an abomination. Oh. An abomination, but I think it's his own act. I think so. You see here, the rock over here. Huh? He, he could have jumped from it and... Oh. Yes, it must have been. You can see the saints, the blood, the hand. Aye, sir, tis the hand where he chopped it off. And there it lies. Oh, a sight, sir. Such a thing. Oh, and do you see, sir? Do you see it is grasping something? So it is. What with all so the blood can you make it out? Oh. It seems... it seems flesh. It seems part of a living body. Oh, sir. What do you think? God's mercy. Oh. I think it's no living body whose part this be. This is Mr. Davis's man, you say, on the tree. Oh, yes. I think we'd best, best find uh, what we can of of Mr. Davis himself. Oh, yes, sir. We'd better hurry, Come I think. Now. Come, Come on, sir. The cottage is down there. Oh, on the hill, you see, in the, in the field over there. Well, now, the door of the cottage stood wide open, and the two men rushed in, not knowing what horrors to expect. Uh, Mr. Davis. Uh, Mr. Davis. But Mr. Davis. When they came to the little room which served as a parlour. Oh. oh. Bless us and save us. What oh, they look, saw. Oh, oh, they would oh, not forget oh, the sight for the rest oh, of their oh, lives. What did they see? Well. There, in the centre of the room... The work of the devil's own devil! ...was a table that had been set up as a kind of altar or place of torture and stretched across his feet in clamps attached to the foot and his wrists held at the corners above his head, spread out naked, facing upwards, lay Mr. Davis. His body almost in shreds from a whip which lay beside him, a tangle of blood and flesh. But the worst of it, oh, the worst of it, the work of the axe. Just below the breastbone, the body had been sliced as far down and torn open, and inside the axe had hacked and slashed away. A part of the spine stuck up, but nothing else was recognisable except the blood. Oh, the blood everywhere. And the strangest thing of all... Do you see the, uh, 
the face, Woodman. Aye, sir. The most what? horrible part. What a mark on it. The eyes staring up. Oh. And the mouth open into a terrible grin. Oh. oh! Did you see that twitch? Yes. The man... Man can't still be alive and, oh, and no, breathing. And, and trying to speak, it seemed. Oh. Both men leaned close to hear and swore later what they heard. Though no one could make sense of it, but they swore they saw the mouth move and the words barely audible come forth. <sighs> again, again. Fanny, you're shivering, dear, and so close to the fire. Uh, you should fetch a woolly from upstairs, dear. N no, Granny. I'm not cold. Well, here, you put Granny's shawl round you anyway. That's it now. Uh, well, did, did they bury Mr. Davis? Did, did they bury Mr. Davis? Oh, that they did. And his young man together. That very night, but not in hallowed ground, as Parson White would have none of that, but up on the hill. And it was no proper burial either. Some of the men just dug a hole large enough and gathered rocks. Oh, only those few men needed for the task were there. They heard the bell. It's not coming from the church, Parson. No, we can all hear. It's coming from inside the hill. For the coming of them of their own. Aye, Parson. And when we dug the grave, we could swear, but for the darkness and only the candles lighting, we struck things that screamed and pulled themselves deeper into the earth. Oh, we, we've no place here. This isn't the Lord's ground. Quickly now, throw the bodies in. Cover them with rocks and some be away now, come on. And they did. But it wasn't exactly the end of the story. What, what happened then, Granny? What's that sound, Granny? Do you hear it? Ah, the sound. I'm coming to that. Well, next morning, some of the town folks passing by saw those strange black patches on the road leading up the hill like a trail. They, they look to be alive like. Oh, how could they be? But they shimmer so. And when they went closer. Oh, God preserve us. Flies. Thousands of huge flies. Why, look what they've been feeding on. Patches of blood from those bodies that were rolled out last Why, night. Why, where did they come from? Oh, there's never been so many flies about. Oh, look! Lifting up all along! Oh, the sky is black with them! Oh, 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 they found the women, swollen beyond recognition. 
almost changed in shape, you might say, looking more like them horrible half-animal monsters you see pictures of in ancient books. But almost as fast as they came, they were gone, the blood cleaned from the road, and as some folks swore, taken back by the flies into the hill. Now, Charles. Yes, Granny. And Fanny. Yes, Granny. Now, I want you to pay special attention to what I'm going to tell you. You remember my saying about them blackberry bushes, not to pick a single blackberry? Yes, yes, Granny. Well, from what I'm going to tell you now, you can judge for yourselves. Now, I said those flies went back into the hill, or wherever they came from, but that wasn't the end of it. Some of them is always seen about up there. And it was one day, while I was courting your grandfather, we were walking up there among those very bushes, and one of them berries, at least I thought it was, And I felt the sting that couldn't open my hand. Now I can only say what I know. A numbness went over me. I heard sounds. Then something like a terrible whip. I can't remember all that happened. But your grandfather says he had to hold me from doing things. And it was his own words that the very devil had gotten into me. Opened my hand and wiped the awful insect away. I couldn't tell whether the blood had come from me or the demon itself. So you both mind what I say and find your blackberries down in the hollow near the creek. Oh, but but look at the time. Off with you. Off with you to bed. Oh, oh Granny. Granny. Off with you now. Granny, can can we have a candle tonight? A candle? Certainly not. Now, off with you and, and Granny will come and tuck you in later. Go on. Oh, oh Granny. Oh, and and Granny. Charles? Charles, don't you frighten your sister up oh. there in the dark or there'll be no more stories for you. Uh, Mother, what's that? Oh, I've just sent them off to bed. Oh, you've been telling them those stories again. You you know, Mother, that none of them is true. Where do you get them from? Well, some of it's true, and the rest... Well, it's like I take hold of something and pull gently, and the rest comes up all of its own. Mm, Well, well, I couldn't tell you where it comes from. Ah... I'm going to my bed, too. Uh, you'll see to locking up, Mother. Uh, good night. Oh, I'll see to it. Good night, Sonny. Ah, uh, yes. I'll just sit a little while longer. Where? Ah, where do they come from? Where? Where? 
That was, we hope, an evening's entertainment by Montague Rhodes James. Pat Franklin played Granny. Her children were played by Marion Winch and Arlene Sagan. The narrator and Parson White were played by Bernard Mays. Don LePage was Mr. Davis, and Frank Laverdi played Granny's father. Mr. Davis's young man and the woodman and the snoring father were played by Eric Bowersfeld, and the two ladies who were eaten by the flies were Arlene Sagan and Pat Franklin. The technical production for the story was by John Whiting, and the adaptation was by Eric Bowersfeld. And now, good night. of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape! Escape! Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to a lonely lighthouse off the steaming jungle coast of French Guiana and a nightmare world of terror and violence. As George Toudouz describes it in his hair-raising tale, Three Skeleton Key. Picture this place. A gray, tapering cylinder, welded by iron rods and concrete to the key itself. A bare, black rock, 150 feet long, maybe 40 wide. That's at low tide. At high tide, just the light, rising 110 feet straight up out of the ocean. And all about it, the churning water. Gray-green, scum-dappled, warm as soup. And swarming with gigantic bat-like devil fish, great violet schools of Portuguese man-o-war, and, yes, sharks. The big ones. The 15-footers. And as if this wasn't enough, there was a hot, dank, rotten-smelling wind that came at us day and night off the jungle swamps of the mainland. A wind that smelled like death. Set in the base of the light was a watertight bronze door. And in you went. And up. Yes, up and up. And round and round. Past the tanks of oil and the coils of rope, cases of wicks, racks of lanterns, sacks of spuds, and cartons and cans. And up and up and up. Round and round. Over the light storeroom was the food storeroom. 
And over the food storeroom was the bunk room where the three of us slept. And over the bunk room was the living and cooking room. And over the living and cooking room was the light. She was a beauty. Balanced like a ballerina on the glistening steel axle of her rotary mechanism. At night, you'd lie there on the stone deck of the gallery with the light revolving smoothly and quietly over your head, easing her bright white eye 360 degrees around the horizon. You'd lie there watching to see that the feeders kept working, that everything ran right. It wouldn't be bad. The other two fellows snoring in their sacks two levels down. You'd smoke your pipe to kill the stink of the wind. And it wouldn't be bad. About those other two, Louis and Auguste, what a pair. Louis, he was head man. Was a big fellow from the Basque country. Black beard, little hard black eyes, and a pair of arms that, I tell you, those arms were as big around as my legs. Yes, head man he was, and what word he let go was law. Silent fellow, and although I spent my first two weeks trying to strike up a real conversation, the most I could ever get out of him was... Uh, I took up this profession because I don't like people. They talk too much. It's quiet work, light tending. Let's keep it that way. You're getting to be as bad as August. I thought maybe for once they'd send me somebody that was who would Louis. Keep and when he accused me of becoming like August, I quieted down because August was the talkingest man I've ever met. The talkingest and the ugliest. He was hunchbacked, stood four feet high, had red hair and big blue eyes. It seems he'd been an actor in they Paris. Over 200 different productions, dear boy, at the Grand Guignol. Oh, but it was monstrous, horrible. The way we used to scare the audience, I, I was hated. Yes, yes, they used to throw things and hiss and bare their teeth at me. Finally, it got too bad. I couldn't stand it any longer. I gave up the theater. My nerves, you understand. Yes, gave it up completely. I really did. I couldn't. It all started one morning at 2.30. I was on watch, lying on the cool stone deck, pulling on my pipe, staring out at the blackness, the phosphorescent combers and the big yellow stars, when, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something show up for a second, something the light had touched, far off. I waited for her to come around again, and when she did, there it was. Master, a big one, about a half mile off, and coming down out of the north-northwest, coming straight for us. You must understand, our light was where it was for a very good reason. Dangerous submerged reefs surrounded us and ships kept clear. But this one, this sailing vessel, was coming straight on. I went over to the gallery door and yelled down. glasses out now. I couldn't read her name, but I could see her quite plainly. All sails set, the foam creaming away under her bow, her beautiful lines. A Dutch ship, I guessed her. Why didn't she turn? 
Every time it passed, our light hit her with the glare of day. Ship? Where? North-northwest. The light will touch her in a moment. Uh, oh, can't you see us? Look at her. She just keeps coming on. The square heads. What is it? What is it? Watch. North-northwest. Ah. I know. I know what it is. What? The Dutchman. The Flying Dutchman. We did a play about her. What? Oh, what a performance. You ghastly galleon. Hag-ridden, curse-driven. Must oh, on... shut up, will you? Yeah, she's laughing. Yes. It's a sloppy way to come about. She's derelict, that's it. Derelict? Abandoned. Crew left her for some reason or another. But instead of sinking, she's gone on, running before every wind. She'll not run long. Not with his reefs to break her up. A beautiful ship. Now, why would men leave a beautiful ship like that? She didn't ram us, although we all expected it. But as we waited for the crash, she luffed again, caught some odd gust and went about. We watched her the rest of those black hours, heeling and rocking, pushed and pulled by every stray wind, every freak current. Watched her until the dawn came, till the sea turned from black to pearly gray. And on she came again, heading for us. We all had our glasses trained on her now. August, you can kill the light. Right, Chief. She doesn't look so good by daylight. Think she'll ground this time? I say, do you think she'll ground this time? Yeah, this is impossible. Absolutely impossible. What? Here, take my glasses. They're better than yours. All right. What is it, your... I had to focus. And then... My breath froze in my throat. The decks were swarming with a dark brown carpet that looked like a gigantic fungus, but undulating. And on the masts and yards, the guys and all were hundreds, no thousands, no min... I don't know. An inestimable number of tremendous rats. See them? Yes. I see them. Now we know why she's derelict. Yes, now we know. What are you two doing? Here, give me a look. Yes, give him the glasses. Take a good look, chatterbox. Give you something to talk about. She's still heading for us. Yes. Uh, uh, if she's going to turn, she'd better turn soon. Suppose she doesn't. You mean suppose she piles up on the key? It's low tide. Yes, yes it is. Well, where's all the conversation, August? Huh? Here, you want the glasses again? You want another look? No, no. She's still coming on. Go away! Go away! Turn, will you? Turn, I say! I pray you turn. Cracked up. The rat! Look! On the water! Like a carpet. They're swimming. Sure, they're swimming. Those are ship threats. But they're swimming for the rocks. The door below. It's open. Well, well, come on. And down we went, racing down the stone stairs, taking them three and four at a time. Scared. You bet we were scared. August, you get the windows. Maybe they can climb. We don't know. Right, see. But hurry. Hurry. Look. You see them? No. Oh, yes, I do. Up at the other end of the rock. Look at them. 
millions. Uh, they smell us. Here they come. Oh, close the door. I can't. Stop. Here, let me. Move, oh, you. Yeah. Made it. Holy. That was close. Oh. One got in. Look. Well, get him. Watch it. Check him. What a brute. He was as big as a tomcat. Bigger. And his eyes were wild and red. His teeth long and sharp and yellow. He went for us. Starving ravenous. And we fought him. Fought that one rat all over the room. It was... Oh, believe me, I don't exaggerate. It was like fighting a panther. Uh, I got it. We'd better get aloft. Yeah. As we ran up the winding staircase, we passed the tiny windows of the various levels. And at every one was a thick, wriggling, screaming curtain of brown fur. I was ahead of Louis, and I dreaded each successive level. Suppose they had found a way in. Look at them. Oh, you look at them. It's a nightmare. Will you look at them. The air of the gallery was thick and fetid with the stink of them. The light was dim, brown, filtered through the crawling mass that swarmed over the glass, all about us. We couldn't see the sky, nothing, nothing but them. Their red eyes, their claws, their wriggling, hairy snouts, and their teeth. The rats. They screamed and howled and threw themselves against the glass. They were starving. And we three... We stood... Very quietly. Oh, very, very quietly. In the center of the glass room. Under our beautiful light. And we waited. What can we do? What can we do, Keith? Take it easy. Take it easy. I, I, I can't. I just can't. Won't do any good to... It won't do any good to stand here and shake. That's right. Go away. Go away, do you hear me? Go away, Mr. They won't go away. Not until... Finish it, Chief. Not until... What? Not until they've been fed. You can take just so much horror... And then you get used to it. And they were interesting to watch, you know. They couldn't understand the glass. They could see us and they could rush at us. But that thin, invisible barrier held them off, stopped them. From time to time, we caught a glimpse of the rocks below. More rats down there. Swarming brown velvet in the bright tropical sunlight. And then the tide began to rise. Only it had drowned some of them. Ship's rats don't drown. <laughs> no, sir. You can't drown one of them. <laughs> They're all climbing up the tower. This bunch around us is getting thicker. Uh, say, what's the time? Quarter of six. You've got first watch, Sean. All right. Wake me at ten. I will. Come along, I'll go. It was getting dark. One side of the room was lit a soft, filtered red. Sunset through the rats. Oh, very pretty. I set the wicks, checked my fuel, and then lit the lamp. It caught them. 
lift them in their gigantic wriggling web of pale hairless bellies, twitching red tails, bright eyes. And then I started the rotary motor. The light drove them mad. As she swung slowly and smoothly about, she blinded them in the fierce stabbing bar of light, moving continually about, ever turning, never touching, ever moving around and around. And they, twitching and shuddering, eyes flaming when they were struck by the light, the bright light moving. And behind, on the dark side of the room, so close, so close, I dared not turn my back. But you can't help turning your back when you're in a room made of glass. On the dark side of the room, you couldn't see them, but only their eyes. Thousands of points of blank red light, blinking and twinkling like the stars of hell. And when I came up into the gallery early the next morning, there stood Auguste, his back to me. He was bowing to the rats. Waving his arms and making a speech. Dear, dear audience, I am going to play once again that magnificent role which made me the toast of the Paris theater. Prelati, the evil genius of the medieval underworld. I am he who did guide the dark soul of Marichal into the nether I stood staring at him, horror struck. (laughs) But he didn't notice me. The man had gone mad. He kept turning, telling his stories to all the rats, leaving no one out. August! August! Another one, the late summer. Take a seat on the aisle, dear patrons. Oh, stop it, stop it. Zizere, the bloodstained monster, was my father. He went on, bowing and scraping to the rats. His big blue eyes rolling and winking. His wild red hair waving about him. I grabbed him by the arms and cracked his face. He looked at me like a child. And then his face screwed up. He looked as though he were about to cry. Go below. Go on. Oh, very well, then. Later, my dear audience, later. Matinee today. Sure, he was crazy. But I guess we all were. A few hours later, he came back up and caught Louis and me teasing the rats. Yes, sounds horrible. It was fun. We would get right up against the glass and make faces at them. It drove them crazy. They would scratch away, trying to get at our eyes. Louis was even cuter about it. He'd pull a piece of bread out of his pocket and press it against the glass. The rats would scramble into a solid ball, biting each other, clustering like grapes. From time to time, a whole knot of them would slip and fall the hundred and ten feet to the surf below. Look at the sharks. They're eating them. Those sharks are our friends. Ah. Here, here, I'll get another bunch together. <laughs> here, my beauties. Ah, that's it. File up. Kill each other, huh? <laughs> ah, there they go. Auguste joined in, too. Very ingenious, Auguste. He learned that if he spread eagle himself against the glass, they'd bunch and bundle against his figure. Then he'd leap back. Look! My portrait in rats! It went on all day. And then... I was lying in bed. It was about midnight. I was very tired and I was just beginning to fall off to sleep 
when I became conscious of a new sound. I couldn't figure it at first. I got up, lit the lamp, and went to the window. Even as I looked out, I saw one of the panes begin to sag in. They had eaten the wood away. Louis, come quick! What? What is it? They found a way in! I held the glass with my hand. Now they were all going crazy, and assured of the success of this maneuver, were all nibbling away at the wood. Louis ran below and then returned with a large sheet of tin. We spread it against the window and hammered it into place. Even as we did so, we felt the heavy bodies thudding against the other side as the window gave way. There! That ought to hold. If it doesn't, we're done for. Rats can't eat tin. No, they can't. But what was that? I don't know. Came from below. The storeroom window. Uh, they're in. They're swarming up the stairs. Drop the trap, right? Yeah, two of them got in. Let's go after them. We didn't have to go after them. They came at us. I leaped to one side and grabbed a marlin spike, swung, and smashed one in midair. No! I whirled to see Louis with the other. It had ripped his hand open and the blood was pouring out. He held his hand aloft and kicked at the snarling rat. I stepped and swung and got him. Oh, my hands. He got my hands. That's both of them, Louis. I'll get you something to tie that up. Blood! Look at it, my blood! I bleed! Don't worry about it, Louis. Here! I'll wind this kerchief around it. It'll be okay. Blood. There! There, that's not bad. Just the flesh. And then I became conscious of a new sound. They were gnawing their way through the wooden trap door. I watched the wood. And even as I did, it began to give way. And a bristling, whiskery nose showed through. Louis! You've got to go up! The next level was the living quarters and kitchen. I slammed the trap there, but it too was wood. Oh, my blood... What are we going to do? I don't know. They'll be through this one in a minute. To the gallery. The trap door in the gallery is metal. Good. Come on. We made it. We lay across the trap door, exhausted, while below us the rats took over the entire tower. I could hear them howling and fighting over our food supply, our water, our leather, and all about us. The others screamed and glared in at us, swayed in a tangled mass, hypnotized by the ever-turning light. By morning, the air in the little room was horrible. Until now, we'd been getting air from the tower below. Now that was sealed off, and so was all our food and water. We lay exhausted, panting, waiting, waiting... And the hours crawled on. I was almost dozing from fatigue when I saw a sight that brought me too fast. Would you like to come in, my beauties? Would you? I hold the powers of life and death, and I can let you in, you know. August was standing by the glass, and in one hand he held a big wrench. He was tapping the glass gently, not quite hard enough to break it. 
I eased myself to my feet. Slowly. Very slowly. Tiptoed toward him. All I have to do is have just a little harder. And... Uh, uh... I found a coil of wire in the toolkit, and I trussed him up, fastened him to a stanchion in the center of the room. Louis was of no help. He lay on his side, looking at his bloody hand, weak and sick as a baby. So there I was, a lunatic and a coward for company. And all about, watching our little drama, the rats. The day dragged by. The supply boat wasn't due for another 12 days. I don't know what they could have done if they had come. And we had only one way of summoning them. That was to shoot off distress rockets. But the rockets were four floors below. And even if they'd been right there in the gallery, I couldn't have opened a window to fire them. That night, I tended the light. But its flame was devouring our oxygen. The following day, we lay thirst-tormented, starving, waiting... The following night, I again tended the light. But the small supply of spare wicking we kept in the gallery had become exhausted. And quite suddenly, at about midnight, the light went out. There was nothing I could do. Wicks were stored three levels below. Nothing I could do. Nothing. From time to time, I'd strike a match to see the clock. And when I did... It lit up the million red eyes about us. All about. Watching. Waiting. Below, it had grown quiet. They'd cleaned us out, and now they, too, were waiting. All waiting. Then, the rats, quite suddenly, were silent. And then I heard it. Then I saw the sky and the stars. The rats were gone. I went to the glass. Out there on the water, a small freighter, a banana boat, showing a few lights, came softly and innocently towards us. Our light was out. They didn't know. I... I wanted to open the windows... To call out to them, to warn them somehow. But I was afraid. What if the rats were hiding from me, tricking me? So I waited. She grounded very softly on a reef not 200 yards from the quay. Grounded so gently that the man playing the cornet was he a passenger, crewman, off watch? Didn't even stop playing. They tried washing her back off. I could have told them to save their fuel. The tide was rising, would have floated her free. And I waited. (laughs) 
That's all. That's the story. The sun came up, and there wasn't a rat on the whole key. Every last one of that terrible army had left us, gone back to sea on their new ship. August, insane asylum. He never recovered. And Louis? They took him into Cayenne, where he died of blood poisoning from his bite. Yes, that's the whole of it. And if you'll excuse me now, I must go set my traps. <laughs> no, no, mouse traps. No rats in this lighthouse. I should say not. Life in the lights isn't bad. But sometimes, when I see a strange vessel approaching, I get a little nervous. Sure. Somewhere on the seas, there's a little banana boat without a crew. That is, without a human crew. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented Three Skeleton Key by George Tudus. Adapted for radio by James Poe. Featured in the cast were Elliot Reed as Jean, Bill Conrad as Louis, and Harry Bartell as Auguste. Special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week. You are standing on the deck of a ship headed on an illegal mission to Central America. Before you, holding a gun in your stomach, is a desperate man who has just given you the choice between being killed or becoming a murderer yourself. Next week, we escape with John and Gwen Bagney's exciting tale of a murderous trio of gunrunners in Central America, Maracas. Goodbye, then, until the same time next week, when once again we offer you... Escape. Stay tuned now for Life with Luigi, which follows over most of these CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Ironized yeast presents Life Out. Everybody.
lights out. Everybody. Afraid to die? Who isn't? When I was just a kid, I used to wake up in the night and see the dark person all around me. And I get so scared, I think I was dead, buried. I'd try to scream. I couldn't. My voice, I'd know I was dead. I'd know it. I'd throw off the cover. I'd cry out, Mother, Mother! Oh, why? Why did I yell out like that? Why should I be scared now? I want to die. I've got to die. It's cold here in the basement. I wonder if the grave is cold. Why don't I get it over with? The ropes around my neck. One step off the ladder and I'll hang and die. And I gotta die. I gotta die. The wages of sin are death. The wages, the wages of sin are death. Funny how I seem to hear the words the way my father used to say them. The wages of sin. What was it then? No. It was hate. I killed her because I hated her. I remember the first time we met. Jay had just married me. And we were walking along the street to his house. Oh, Ella, you'll like my ma. Really, you will. Well, I... Sure, she's swell. Best woman in the world. Is she? Well, I mean... Well, you're my wife now. Ella, that proves what I think of you, don't it? I guess it does. Oh, you and Ma will get along fine. <laughs> Will this be a surprise to her? Well, here's the house. What do you think of it? Well, it's, it's all right. Yeah. Well, in we go. <laughs> Will Ma's eyes pop when she sees you? <laughs> pop right out, I'll bet you. Come on, Ma, open up. Got a surprise for you. Yeah. Where have you been, son? Where? Oh. Surprise, Damar. Meet Ella. Jay, you've brought home a woman. When she said it that way, right from that minute I knew I hated her. And that's the way it was from then on. I wasn't Jay's wife to her, but a woman. Stranger in her house. And it was her house and everything in it. Nothing Jay's, everything hers. Ma, can I use your car to take Ella riding? Ma, mind if Ella plants some roses in your garden? Ma, is it all right if Ella uses... That's the way it was. Hers, hers, everything hers. All I had was Jay, and he wasn't much. You can't blame me, you hear me? You can't blame me for not standing it. All my life I'd had nothing, and at last I was married, and I still had nothing. Her house, her car, her money, her son. I couldn't stand it, I tell you. So I killed him. The wages of sin are dead. Why do I keep hearing Pa's words in my head? I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to do it. It's just that I want to sit here on top of a ladder and think and talk about everything for a little while. It's the last chance I'll get. Oh, like I said, I killed her. Well, not right away. I stood it for weeks and months. But all the time inside of me, something was talking. Kill her. Everything will be yours. Kill her. Everything will be yours. 
and then louder and louder until my head was filled with it. Louder and louder until I couldn't stand it no more. Louder and louder until I said, yes, I'll do it. Yes. Yes. Everything would be mine, then. Everything. I always wanted it that way. It had to be that way. Here in this basement, that's where it happened. Jay went to work. I came down here. Oh, it wasn't very hard to do what I had to do. I remember every minute of it so well. Every minute. I called her. And she came down into the basement. You called me, Ella? Yes, I called you. What's the matter? Somebody took the lid off the sewer down here. Land sakes alive. Now, who could have done that? Heavy iron cover like that. Jay wouldn't have done it. Is it deep down there? Of course it's deep. Paint a sewer anyway. Covers an old well this building was built over. Oh. What are you owing about? Heard my son Jay tell you the same thing weeks ago. Yes, he did tell me. Funny, I forgot. Oh, look. What? Down in the well. Look. I I don't see nothing. What? Oh, it's your well, isn't it, Mama? Your well. Everything is yours, so stay in it. Stay in it, Mama. Stay in it. Your well, Mama. But everything else is mine now. Everything mine, mine. <sighs> That's the way it was. Easy. Too easy. Jay came home. He said... Hey, Ella, where's Ma? I don't know. She wasn't here when I got back from the store. Must have gone out. Oh. Well, she'll be back. Leave it to Ma. But she didn't come back. How could she? Jay went to the police. They came around. They asked questions. They went away. And nothing happened. It was as easy as that. Oh, why do I keep hearing that in my head? Why? I'm going to die. Rope around my neck. Just a little bit longer talking. Just a little. She... She was gone. And I had her house and her son. And then I didn't want him. I tell you, he made me sick just to look at him. Mama. Mama. I wanted to forget, forget. And then, one day, I got an idea. There was more room under that iron lid in the basement, wasn't there? That was it? Yes, that was it. Got free of her, now I get free of him. Sell the house, quick, get away, away, far away. Yeah, that was it, a free woman. With my looks and all that money, oh, would I have a time. I planned everything told the neighbors Jay was going on a trip. I said Jade wrote me to sell the place and join him out of town. I tell you, it was perfect. He came home that night. The night I was going to let him join his mama. Anybody home? I'm always home. Oh, <laughs> you said that just like mama used to. Did I? Say, that reminds me. I got a new detective agency working on the case. They think that maybe she lost her memory somehow. You know, like you're all about... right, all right. What, Ella? Sit down and eat your supper. You want it to get cold? Oh, I don't see why you don't want to talk about finding Mama. After Sit all. Sit down and eat your supper. You'll find your Mama. 
You think so, Wella? Sure. Oh, say, that's good hearing you say that. Point in my ma, that's something I feel like. He sat down to eat. I made him a good supper. Why not? His last supper. And then it happened. We were sitting there eating when there was a knocking at the door. No. Who can that be? How should I know? Get up and answer it. Yeah. Peddler, I'll bet you. Nobody here. Then shut the door and come on back and finish your supper. That's funny. I heard knocking plain, didn't you? That kid's playing jokes. Go on, eat. I want you to help me fix something in the basement. Fix what? You'll see. Finish your eating first. Okay. This crazy kid. What? Man, ask it where you are. I'll go and... Come away. Wait for what? Listen. That knocking. How funny it sounds. Those kids. But it's from the basement door. No. Well, I'd better go see... No. Jay, don't open that door. Don't, I tell you. Don't see why not. Somebody knocking. I gotta see... Jay, leave the door closed. What's the matter with you? Gotta open it. Gotta see... No, Jay. (gasps) No. No. Mama. Mama. Ladies and gentlemen, this moment when the dead have returned is certainly a fit one to loosen your grip on that chair and take a deep breath and slow up your pulse beat. And now back to Lights Out. Ella goes on with her story. The story of the return from death of the woman... She had murdered. Yeah. It was her, all right. There she was. Eyes glittering. Dirty gray old hair plastered wet around her face. Standing there. I could see her with my own eyes. And yet she was dead, I tell you, dead. Jay didn't know that, no. He took that dead thing by the arm, and he led her into the room. And he sat her down in a chair. Oh, Mama, Mama. You did come back. I knew you would. We both knew it, didn't we, Ella? Now tell us, Mama, where you been. Why'd you go? Yeah, why come back this funny way? The back way up the basement steps. Why, Mama? Uh, 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 Mama, you're uh, sick. Uh, uh, Oh, Ella, look, she's dripping wet. Ella, quick, take her upstairs and put her to bed. Yeah, and maybe you'd better sleep with her tonight. Keep her warm. Ella? Why are you looking so funny? Ella! Ma! Ella fainted. Why did she faint? Why? Sure, I fainted. Me sleep with that. Me keep that warm. Oh, no. I didn't wake up until next morning. Jay was leaving for work. He told me she was sleeping in her room to take good care of her when she woke up. And he went away. 
happy as Mama was back. When he was gone, I sat down there in the kitchen and waited. It got on to five. Soon he'd be coming home. I had to know. I tell you, I had to. I went upstairs to her room. I opened the door. Nobody there. I tell you, nobody there. The bed not even slept in. She'd never been there, never. I dreamed it. Jay dreamed it. She wasn't there. She hadn't come back. But I had to be sure. I went down in the basement. I pried up that old iron lid. There was the open well. I lit a lantern and held it in the black hole. I looked in. She was there, floating in the water like a big fat. Oh, but she was still there. Well, that's all that mattered. I had piled things over the lid to hold it down, and old trunk boxes, heavy things. That's what I did. They came home after a while. He said, How's Mama? I said, All right. He said, Call her down to dinner, will you? I said, yeah, sure. Oh, oh, yeah, that's what I said. I knew Mama was all right where she was. <laughs> we sat down to dinner. He kept talking about her. How funny it was that she still was sleeping. How funny it was the way she came back. But all the time I was laughing inside myself because I knew what had happened was just a strange dream we both had had because she was dead, dead and floating. We sat there eating. I felt good. A bad dream ended. So this night, Jay would join his mama. Woman. Yeah. And then, just like the night before, it happened. Say, now who in the world's that? And, and it's the basement door again. Now what in the... Mama, you... Yeah, I screamed. What good was that? There she was again. The water dripping down off her face and clothes and puddling on the floor. And this time I knew it was no dream. She came into the room. She sat down on a chair. Gay, talking, talking all the time. He didn't see the way I saw that her face was... Started to thunder. And Jay said... Mama, Mama, you should never have sneaked out on a night like this. Not a bed with you. In the morning, I'll call the doctor. Ella, you take Mama upstairs to bed. And this time, be sure you sleep with her. You know how scared she is of thunder. Go on now. She's soaked to the skin. I just sat there. I tell you, I couldn't move. Thinking of going upstairs with her, being in the same room with her, it froze me to my chair. And Jay said, No. No, come to think of it, I'll go fetch the doctor right now. Can't take any more chances. Ella, you take Mama right upstairs and put her to bed. Lie down with her. Keep her warm till I get back with Doc Williams. And he was gone. Gone after the doctor. I sat there, the flesh on me crawling. 
the doctor'd come and he'd see that she was dead, dead a long time. He'd be sure to see it the way I saw it, dead, and, and the water had... Uh, how long we sat there looking at each other, I don't know. And then her lips moved, and it was like a cold wind. And I said to put me to bed. That's what she said. My son said to put me to bed. And then I understood the whole thing. She'd come back from the dead to keep me from killing him. And, and she wanted me along upstairs to... No. No, I wouldn't do it. I sat there without moving. Her lips moved again. He said to keep me warm. Come upstairs, Ella. To keep me warm. Me keeping that dead thing warm. Her wet, cold, dripping skin against... No, I wouldn't do it. She thought she'd make me crazy that way. Hold me in her bony arms until the sense in me ran out the way the well water was running out of her. Make me crazy. <laughs> Something to be locked away like they locked my own mother away. Crazy, crazy. Oh, no. No, that wouldn't happen to me. She wouldn't make me crazy, not me. I got to my feet. I turned quick before she could stop me. The basement door. I locked it behind me. I ran down the basement steps. Oh, I knew how to cheat her. The sure way, the only way. Oh, that's why I'm down here now. The rope around my neck. The other end tied to the cross beam. I'll jump off this ladder. The rope will stretch. I'll be dead. Dead. And she'll never get me crazy. Still thundering. If I make noises, I choke. Nobody will hear me. And I'll die. And I'll never see her again. Why don't I do it now? There ain't much time. Jay and the doctor will be coming back. I gotta be dead then. Good and dead or they'll find out the truth about her. Why don't I do it now? Why don't I do it? Because I'm afraid. Afraid of dying. That's, that's why I've been talking here in the dark, because I'm afraid. Oh, it, it'll be so dark. Empty. Things will go on in the world, and I'll have nothing but the dark. Why should I die? Yeah, why should I? If I left this house, she, she wouldn't follow me, would she? That's all she wants, the house, her Jay. Well, she can have him. I'll go. I'll go right away. Far away. They'll never find me. Never. Oh, the rope. It's so tight around my neck. Oh, I, I, I gotta get it off. I gotta hurry and get away before Jay and the duck. I can't get the rope off. Who's there? Who's coming down the steps? Is that you, Jay? Oh, you. You followed me down. How could you? I locked the door. Oh, but then I put that iron lid over you, too, didn't I? And it didn't do much good. Oh, listen. Listen, I'll go away. You hear me? I'll go away. This'll be your house and everything in it. 
Hear me all yours again. And, and Jay, I, I'll leave him, too. I won't take anything with me. I'll just go right away. Get, get the rope off. I'll go. You'll see me go. Oh, I made the noose so tight. I can't seem to... Mrs. Kroger, what are you going to do? You're not going to climb up the ladder. Oh, no. No, stay off. Stay off, I tell you. Don't come closer. I can't stand you coming closer. Stay away, the ladder. The ladder will fall. The robe is still around my neck if I fall No. No. No, you, you won't make me die. I've got hold of the rope with my hand. I won't choke this way. My arms are strong. I can hold on to the rope above my head for a long time. Jay will be home right away. He'll get me down. I'll live. I will, and you'll still be dead. Dead. I'll, I'll tell them that you fell in the well. They'll believe me. They'll believe me. Well, say something. Say something. I, I know you're standing down there watching me. You, you're waiting, waiting for my arms to get tired so I'll let go. But I won't let go. I won't. I won't. Jay will be home. I can't let go. I can't. I gotta live. I gotta live. Oh, Larry. I'm so tired. I gotta hold on. I gotta hold on. Or the noose. The noose. Oh, cramping arm. Jay. Jay. I gotta cramp my. I can't hold on anymore. Jay. I wouldn't have killed you. Jay. I can't hold on. Thousands who need more vitamin B and iron. Tell us, yes, about the return of the dead, whether or not I believe that the dead could return to avenge an evil. Frank, have you ever heard of Charles Fort? No, I haven't. Well, Charles Hoy Fort was born in 1874 and died in New York in 1932. The unusual, the supernormal, the supernatural fascinated him, just as one man might collect uh, postage stamps. Charles Fort, for 20 or 30 years, collected records of phenomena which dogmatic science couldn't explain, strange murders and so forth. I suggest that, therefore, that any of you who think that this is the only possible world spend a very pleasant weekend reading these records in Mr. Fort's work, The Book of the Damned. The best possible answer to the ghost question is, who knows? 
And now what about next week, Mr. Obler? Well, next week a story of suspense, which is, I believe, quite different from anything you've ever heard before. Have you ever watched a shooting star streak across the sky and suddenly have a feeling of almost terror? But, <laughs> well, all that's next week. Lights Out will come to you again next Tuesday at the same time. Be sure to listen to Arch Obler's weird story of the thing out of interstellar space. And if you need more vitamin B and iron, be sure to try Ironized Yeast, the one and only Ironized Yeast, with the big letters IY on the package and on each tablet. Do you intend to be well-dressed next year? Then take good care of the clothes you now own because there's a shortage in many clothing materials. And to help get the best wear from your present clothes, keep them free of grease spots with Energene Cleaning Fluid. Grease spots are the favorite feeding place of moths all year round. Grease spots also make your clothes look worn, run down, old before their time. But with Energene, you can remove those grease spots easily, neatly, efficiently. To help care for your clothes, get Energene Cleaning Fluid tomorrow. This is the Columbia Broadcasting. Well, that's the show for tonight. I'm going to make this real quick because it was a long one. I want to thank you all for listening and always thank you for your support. And if you would like to see the film adaptation of Sorry, Wrong Number, starring Barbara Stanwyck and Burt Lancaster, please visit my YouTube page and subscribe. On the community page, I have the movie posted. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at Facebook.com, Terror1970, Instagram, Radio Show Nerd, Twitter, Radio Show Nerd 1. Again, this is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, signing off. Thanks, everybody.